Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this, well, it's wet out there Wednesday episode because we are in that season where there's rain and moisture and we're going to talk about how we are drowning in propaganda and fear-mongering when we should be rejoicing in the blessings we have in the climate and the world around us. But first, inspiration. Our inspiration today is talking about grasping God's word. A rugged cast iron ring stood strong against the harsh Minnesota winter as it hung on the doorframe of my great uncle's old farmhouse. More than 100 feet away was another ring firmly fixed to the dairy barn. When there was a blizzard, my uncle would attach a line between both rings so he could find the path between the house and the barn. Keeping a firm grip on the line kept him from losing his way in the blinding snow. My uncle's use of a safety line in a snowstorm reminds me of how David used lines of Hebrew poetry to trace how God's wisdom guides us through life and guards us against sin and error. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is a great reward. A firm grasp of the truths of Scripture informed by God's Spirit, working in our hearts to keep us from losing our way, and helps us make decisions that honor God and others. The Bible warns us against wandering from God and shows us the way home. It tells us of the priceless love of our Savior and the blessings that await all who place their faith in Him. Scripture is a lifeline. May God help us cling to it always. Heavenly Father, help us to treasure your teaching today. Thank you for the rich, deep blessings of Scripture and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I think that seeking the truth and wisdom like in the inspiration is what we're going to be doing a little bit more of today. And it's important that we do because there is so much alarmism out there when we really should be looking at the wonderful blessings and, of course, the natural resources that we've been provided. And uh, we're going to be talking today with Steve Gorham, author of The Green Breakdown, his new book. We're going to be talking about the book as well as the public policy things going on. And of course, the politicians, the one to make us fearful of what the climate is doing so that they can promise to have the solution if we just give them more money and more control over energy and things of that nature. So welcome to the show, Steve Gorham. Hi, Tim. Great to join you again. Well, thanks for coming on. So you've got this book. Let's let's talk about this for just a moment. For one, where can people find that? Is it Amazon, bookstores? Yeah, the, the book is Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. And if I could give you a little background first, the wealthy nations of the world, uh, United States, Europe, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and, and a few others, are trying to get to a thing called net zero by 2050. And net zero means basically the elimination of all of our traditional energy, coal, oil, and natural gas, and to replace it with wind, solar, and biofuels. And beyond that, to try and reduce carbon dioxide emissions from everything we do, which is heating our home and uh, driving our vehicles and our industry, our electricity, uh, all these things emit carbon dioxide emissions. But uh, we have uh, our leaders are, are marching toward net zero. Uh, and this is this is not going to happen by 2050. This is going to break down. Uh, this is beyond a, a reach out effort. It's it's more like a, a wish and a prayer. And uh, 
Uh, hydrocarbons have just too much value to society to be replaced by intermittent sources of energy. And what we're going to get instead is we're going to get higher energy prices, electricity blackouts, loss of freedom. And that means taking away your uh, right to get a gasoline car or a gas stove and transnational energy shocks, which we saw in Europe in the last two years. So in the next decade or two, people are going to demand a return to low-cost, reliable energy. Now, that all sounds very negative. <laughs> well, it but sounds negative, has... but really what they're, you say that, net zero. Okay, net zero to me, you know, they, they're they going to define it. And that, this is the biggest problem with activists and special interests in government. They can define something and then once you get there then they change the definition and the rules and so now it's just how we heat our cars how we charge our our new purchased electric vehicles but when you look at these things like an electric vehicle has more carbon output than a good hybrid vehicle because of all the elements and the things that's required to make that but they oh that carbon's you know emitted over in china or somewhere else yeah, the definitions are kind of crazy in the whole thing. But anyway, the, the nice thing about Green Breakdown is I have all sorts of uh, uh, color sidebars. There's about 150 in there, all with crazy headlines of what people are trying to do to to uh, conserve energy or change our energy system. Uh, and it's, uh, it's really a fun read for people. But at the same time, it goes through all of the aspects of the proposed energy transition and points out why they aren't going to work. And we're actually seeing this in a lot of places. We have uh, wind turbines off the East Coast now that folks are stepping back from because they're they're too expensive. We have uh, Germany has restarted 27 coal-fired power plants in Europe because they're they can't keep the lights on with the the wind and solar. Well, and uh, they're finding all these uh, dead whales now, also on, yeah. on beaches because of the exploration of trying to site these wind turbines on. Uh, you know, the ocean floor. Yeah, it appears that may be a factor. That's all along, mostly along New Jersey. They've had like 20 dead whales wash up in the last year. Whales use sonar to do their own navigation. And what they're doing to find locations for these wind towers is using sonar. They're pinging the bottom. And so it is proposed that the whales are getting disoriented because of that. Other people disagree. We just have to see. But there are just many, many issues with, with, uh, with wind and solar, and by the way, electric vehicles have hit a speed bump recently. We have uh, we have a whole bunch of issues going on. Uh, inventories are up by 300 uh, percent. The the pickup truck uh, folks that buy pickup trucks don't seem to be too interested in EVs, so the electric uh, pickup trucks aren't doing too well. And Ford is losing somewhere between 40,000 and 60,000 a vehicle, uh, and they're going to lose four and a half billion dollars on their EV business this year. And so Ford and GM have stepped back from their their sales targets. Well, it seems interesting, too. Obviously, corporations will invest in a product if they think it will catch on. And then when they figure out it doesn't, then they step away from it. But they've been pushed by government to go further beyond Mm -hmm. the common practices of, you know, manufacturing, marketing and uh, consumer desire. And what I see in like the electric trucks is people that are even interested in electric vehicles because they say, hey, I can charge at, uh, you know, the government offices I work at for free, so I charge it while I'm at work, and, you know, I'm only commuting 15, 20 miles a day. It works just fine. But as soon as you get the truck, the weight of the vehicle, the capacity of the vehicle uses far much more electricity, and the lifespan of that electricity, where how far you can travel, 
is greatly diminished, especially if you're carrying a load. There's no way that you can take your family on a camping trip uh, without a generator. Well, you're right. Electric uh, trucks are really heavy, and and most electric vehicles to go the same range as a gasoline vehicle are going to be about 50% heavier because of the weight of the battery. But these these pickup EVs are really heavy. Uh, a, a 2023 Ford F-150 gasoline pickup is a big vehicle. It weighs 4,677 pounds, but the Ford F-150 Lightning electric pickup weighs 6,500 pounds. The Rivian R1T, 7,100 pounds, and the Chevy Silverado EV, 8,500 pounds. Wow. And this makes me think of Clint and Jaws. If he were here, he'd go four tons of them. You got a four-ton pickup truck there. I mean, these things are very big, and they're going to end up paying more road taxes, too, than gasoline vehicles because they are so heavy. They are at heavy. least At least if, if government wants to be even-handed about all this, and that, that still remains to be seen. Yeah, it seems like they try to hide the, uh, the details as much as they can, and they just, it's more agenda-driven. And Because these trucks, yeah, 8,000 pounds, uh, you could have yourself uh, uh, almost a semi-truck for that. And and so that's, the, obviously, the capabilities aren't there because semi-trucks can, you know, drive for 24 hours without needing to recharge, and uh, they can haul, you know, 80,000 pounds or more. So when you look at these cars, you talk about their weight. I was really shocked by this, my own personal experience. I'm standing on the side of the highway, and this was at night, so I did I couldn't see what was coming, and it was on a hill, and an SUV drove by, and I think it was a Ford or a Chevy SUV. And, of course, I heard it coming, and then I it drove by. And then a few moments later, I heard another vehicle coming. It sounded larger. And it turned out, as it went by, it was a Tesla, but it made far more road noise than hmm. the combustion engine. So I was, I was kind of shocked by that, and that's obviously because of the weight and the style of tires. Yeah, because of the weight, uh, EVs are typically lower. Ma- well, I shouldn't say that. They're supposed to be lower maintenance because they're simpler engines. But because they're heavier, there's a lot more tire wear. And then there are problems, too. Um, uh, maintenance right now is pretty expensive for EVs. Matter of fact, Hertz uh, had an order to into Tesla for 100000 EVs for their rental services, and also they were going to provide them for uh, ride-sharing services. And they're now—they just announced the other day that they're finding it, it costs them twice as much to get uh, EVs repaired. And that's if you throw in the accidents as well, too, because there's there's issues. Boy, if you if you just ding the battery a little bit, uh, you you have a big uh, fire risk, and so you need to uh, you need you might have to replace the whole battery, which is very expensive. Yeah. Uh, in, insurance also is an issue. Uh, England has had headlines recently. A lot of uh, insurers in England won't insure electric vehicles. And there's stories about people calling around 10 different places and finally having to get a year's worth of insurance at 5,000 pounds. I mean, really very expensive. Right now, insurance in the U.S. is about 72% higher for an electric vehicle versus a gasoline vehicle. So the issues are kind of starting starting to mount up. There's issues beyond that, too, when you're talking about uh, governmental costs. But looking at the insurance first, the insurance on the electric vehicles, you know, you have a, let's say you're a homeowner or you got condos, whatever it might be, and you decide to put electrical hookups for EVs. They don't want them indoors anymore. They don't want them attached to the house because of the risk of fire. So if you do have them parked in your garage and you have them, you know, charging, not only are those systems fairly expensive, but there is that risk of a battery or uh, other short occurring that, that would cause a fire. And then uh, I know over in, you brought up Europe, Europe, their fire departments have 
changed how they deal with vehicle fires. People driving along the freeway, we see more and more these mm-hmm. black burnt spots on the side of the road, and sometimes they cause wildfires here in the Northwest. And and so what they've done over in Europe is they actually have a flatbed with a container that's always full of water, and they just have a vehicle go out with a crane, and they dip it into well, they dip it. <laughs> the water so they you know so the whole car is destroyed with a fire that's anyway. very creative <laughs> but I, yeah i actually watched a special on this because it was it was fascinating to me i after, hadn't heard that after realizing how difficult it is to put out the fires well then if you do have an accident the uh, tow companies and places that know the risk of the the teslas and the uh just all the evs they don't want them in a lot with a bunch of other vehicles that have fuel in their tanks because if they catch on fire sometime after the accident which has occurred uh now they've got a whole bunch more liability on their hands so when an accident occurs and a fire occurs they just dump them in this these tanks now is kind of the new way to make sure the fire risk Hmm. is gone so it's uh, a total loss instead of a breakdown there's another big hidden issue too so when somebody in uh, Washington state buys an electric vehicle, they think, wow, this car is, is uh, low emissions and it's environmentally friendly. But they don't see where the metals come from. The International Energy Agency points out that you need seven times the special metal, I'm sorry, six times the special metals of a gasoline car in every electric vehicle. You need graphite and copper and nickel, manganese, cobalt, lithium. Now, most of those metals are mined in developing nations. And then the biggest processor of those metals is China. So here's what happens. So if 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 you uh, if you need cobalt in your battery, which almost all of them do, most of that is is mined in. Uh, actually, the biggest share I should say is mined in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where it's well known they use child labor and forced labor. So they dig the ore out of the hills and then they ship it to China. And in China, there's a place called Rare Earth Lake, which is one of many. And as far as you can see in every direction, there are square miles of land that has been destroyed from metal tailings, from processing of of metals. And so they put that into a battery, and then that comes to the United States. And the driver of the of the EV in Washington State has no idea that the that there's major social damage and major environmental damage with all these mining and processing operations around the world. Well, and not only that, the six times more precious metals that go into them are not as easily recaptured at the end of the vehicle's use. So that's a whole nother conversation, but we're going to talk about more than just electric cars and we're going to take a break and don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to dig more into, again, the green breakdown by author Steve Gorham. You know, whether we have a lot of snow or not, Right Spokane Perspective wants to wish you and yours a Merry Christmas with these words that Shannon has for you. The giving of gifts is not something man invented. God started the giving spree when he gave a gift beyond words, the unspeakable gift of his son, Mr. Robert Flatt. Thanks again from Right Spokane Perspective, and thank you listeners who have supported us to keep us on the air by going to rightspokaneperspective.com and donating or by sending those donations to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, PO Box 7620-99207. Have a Merry Christmas. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective on this, again, Wednesday episode with Steve Gorham, author of The Green breakdown that's the green breakdown you can find that book 
uh, pretty much wherever books are sold, but, you know, look on Amazon. Uh, and we were talking about the green breakdown in this policy having to do with electric vehicles. And of course, the, there's a lot of aspects of that, that uh, the infrastructure is not ready. The power grids are not ready. The uh, consumers are not ready and the corporations are not ready. In fact, uh, without government subsidies, they're nowhere close to ready, but there's a lot more government subsidies uh, going on that makes something look like it's sustainable when you have a country going bankrupt trying to make it look so. So jump back in, Steve. Let's let's talk about the energy side of it because whether you own or want to own an electric car, this is going to affect you as long as our government policy goes in this direction. Yeah, the subsidies are enormous right now coming from the Biden administration. Back during uh, the Obama administration, we were spending a pretty big amount, about $15 billion a year in subsidies uh, to uh, wind, solar, and other renewables. Under the Trump administration, it dropped to about $8 billion a year. But now it's back up to about 16 or $17 billion. And the new Inflation Reduction Act is going to funnel 40 to $50 billion a year from federal money to all these green projects all over the country. Uh, for example, we have a battle going on in Iowa right now and in North Dakota and South Dakota and Illinois over carbon dioxide pipelines. There are companies that want to take all this federal money and build pipelines so they can ship carbon dioxide up to North Dakota and bury it underground. And that's supposed to be captured from uh, biofuel uh, industries. I mean, nobody would be doing this stuff without the money. There's there's absolutely no value in, in taking carbon dioxide and putting it underground except to get these vast amounts of money from the federal government. We got other things going on with hydrogen, but it's uh, it really is, you know, I'm a taxpayer like everybody else. And I really see the, I hate to see all this going into stuff that it, it, it's just really a wasted uh, human effort. I mean, there's so many other things people could be doing rather than trying to build something like carbon dioxide pipelines, which have really no no value. And I think you're really right. So if we take a look back in history, we there was an article about the rise of early electric cars. And it says, during the early years of the automotive age, from about 1896 to 1930, as many as 1,800 different car manufacturers functioned in the U.S., and it goes on to talk about while innovators in Europe had been working on battery-powered vehicles since the 1830s, the first successful electric car in the U.S. made its debut in 1890. So we know that Henry Ford in about 1900, 1905 uh, mm -hmm. came up with the combustion engine. And so after that, well, he, they he, started moving yeah. away from... Well, he utilized the technology of a combustion engine. I don't yes, think he, he designed it. But he, they, he saw where technology was heading and where transportation would be best utilized. Well, and what they had gone on to say was that, you know, they realized that the electric, it wasn't sustainable. Well, what's crazy is that we're, we're talking about the same things that we talked about 120 years ago. Yes, we said, are. well, these things are really cool, but can only get you across town and uh, then it dies and then you got to figure out how you can charge it and and we're we're 120 years later talking about the same thing well and we're funding the same thing as taxpayers so steve when you say i mean it's kind of ridiculous that we're doing this over and over again it says like today one of the challenges for early electric car owners was where to charge them in 1910 owners could install their own charging stations on their property well and what was interesting about that is that it was so you have alternating current and direct current. Back then, the electric systems that they were using oftentimes were direct current, not alternating current uh, for their household electricity, right? 
So we're, we're having an argument again, but the argument this time, and I think what Steve's major point is, is that government didn't subsidize it back then, which is why they said this is a failing idea. That's the right. only reason why we're continuing to have this discussion now is because of these government subsidies. Steve? Yeah, well, you're right about the history. There was a time when electric vehicles had the largest share before Henry Ford came along and set up assembly line for gasoline vehicles. Charles Kettering also invented an electric starter. Uh, replacing a, a, a hand crank starter, which they used to try and use. And then the other thing is that people, the road systems got better and people started driving longer distances and EVs had a distance problem back in those days. Uh, gasoline, uh, the gasoline uh, fuel industry also lowered the price of gasoline way down. And, and so EVs pretty much went out of the market. We have had some innovations. We've had uh, the invention of a lithium battery. And so uh, the distances and the power is much better for EVs, but gasoline is still has about 20 times the, uh, the power uh, energy density uh, versus a lithium battery. But you're right, it's, it's government that's pushing all of this, and it's all driven by the fear of man-made global warming. There's a lot of people believe if we get everybody switched to electric cars, we can stop the oceans from rising. <laughs> I mean, that's like... This is the closest thing to modern superstition I can imagine. I, I think that people need to go back into their their high school education where they told us about Pangea, right? How the, the earth uh, moved around and tectonic plates and whatever, and so the whole earth got, you know, reorganized on its own by just natural uh, occurring things. Well, would they have been able to stop Pangea? I'm just wondering. <laughs> well, yeah, we have a, we, government's inflated and think they, think they can do a lot of things. You know, I'm not against electric cars. They are penetrating world markets. Uh, they were about 14% of the globe last year, the, the small light vehicles. Uh, the installed base is about 2% of the 27 million, uh, of the, there were 27 million EVs, about 2% of the 1.5 billion out there. Uh, but this idea that we need to force everybody, that's, uh, you know, the state of Washington, California, Oregon, all setting up these mandates saying, we're not going to allow any gasoline or diesel sales by 2035 that's the stuff that's really foolish well i think what's and smart I, what's smart about your not being against electric cars and i'm with you let the consumer get what they need yep. if, if you are never going to travel outside of your small area i mean aside from them restricting it with smart cities and regulations and con central bank digital currencies whatever it, you know, I just finished a trip. I had to go on a, it was a 680 round, 680 mile round trip, roughishly. And there was no way I could have made it in the time that I needed to make it in with an electric vehicle. I would have had to stop several times and, yep. and take long periods of time to charge it. It would have taken me a whole nother day to make the trip. And so uh, when you t look at human capital, you look at the things that we need to do. Uh, sure. If a consumer wants to have an electric vehicle for their commuting vehicle and another vehicle for when they leave town, uh, sure. Why not? But well, it's, go it's going to get worse. It. It's going to get worse. Uh, we have a problem now. California has passed an advanced clean fleets regulation, ACF, that says by January, 2024, all trucks, uh, for priority customers or drayage where you're picking up from a, from a port, all new trucks have to be electric or hydrogen. You can't put a new truck as of January 2024 in service now you're talking about without, semi without having it being electric. Yes. You're talking about commercial and, traffic. Now, and and uh, Washington, is, Washington State is joining this as well. And this is a big, big problem. This is uh, electric trucks just can't do the job. Well, see, the problem with Washington – 
I, and I live in Washington, so I and and I actually have a Class A CDL and drive. Yeah, you know those kinds of vehicles. So uh, you know, I have to say that obviously uh, the the folks over in Olympia are high on fumes, but they're not coming uh, from carbon other than the money that they're extracting us from us in the carbon tax that they're they're taking from us to put into these green energy policies. But uh, asphalt is also made out of carbon. And they complain about the heavy trucks on asphalt shortening the life of the asphalt. Well, there's going to be a lot more trucks on the road because the amount of weight that capacity vehicles that I drive, 105,000 pounds, if you take the the product out, enough of the product out to be able to put batteries in to haul yep. weight, I'm going to haul less than half as much weight, maybe only uh, a third or a quarter. And so they'll to, to move the same freight, we need to have two, three, four times the amount of trucks on the road doing the same road damage per truck. So yep, uh, it's right. not very wise. It costs a lot of diesel and a lot of carbon to repave highways. So a heavy truck can go 1,200 miles, can fuel for 15 minutes on diesel fuel and go 1,200 miles. An EV has to refuel for hours and it can only go 150 to 330 miles. Uh, Which is amazing to me because back uh, in, in the 1800s, they started out only being able to travel 100 miles before they had to be charged again. So we haven't gained anything. We haven't gained a lot, yeah. An electric truck is two to three times more expensive than a gas than a diesel truck. And there's almost no chargers out there. No. A guy in Joliet near, near me in Illinois wanted to put in a, a charging station for 15 heavy trucks. And the city of Joliet told him there was no way. You're, you're asking for as much electricity as what the city uses. So, <laughs> yeah. so, but nevertheless, California is marching forward with this. They are mandating that all these new trucks as of January have to be uh, electric vehicles or hydrogen. And uh, Washington and Oregon are following right along. So this is going to just this is going to upset the uh, uh, turn upside down the trucking industry unless this is stopped. By the way, there are thirty uh, eight attorneys general of states challenging uh, th these laws at this point. There's a big, big lawsuit going on. So we can hope somebody with some common sense steps in. Well, I think they understand the law, but they probably also like to eat. And if you want clothes to wear and you want food to eat, uh, one of the things that uh, is actually traveling across Washington uh, the most, other than products from China, is food, food production. And to put those mandates on vehicles that are in those farmers' fields collecting the Walla Walla sweet onions, uh, the great Washington apples, and all the freight that gets hauled and feeds people literally around the world, um, yep. I, I think that this push for EVs, uh, you know, when you talked about a net zero, I was thinking a net zero dollar value because that's where our economy is going. We'll have a dollar worth net zero and uh, people all around the world will be starving as a result of our stupidity. Yeah, it's amazing. And hats off to truckers. You know, when, when everything was shut down in 2020 and 2021, they drove all over the country and delivered goods to everybody. So if people had food and clothing and medicine. Uh, that was really a terrific job. But uh, but yeah, what, you know, what California is trying to do is just loony and it's all based on the fear of man-made warming. Well, I, I think that with man-made warming, Cal California also is another place that is a large producer of food. And if they transition to this, how are the people in foreign countries going to be able to afford to have the food that they can't grow there that they currently now get from Washington and 
Oregon and California. When we talk about uh, being at war with Russia and a possible problem in in trade with wheat and other grains, we grow that here too. Yep. So it, yeah, I think it's, it's it it is a an important thing for us to all understand because we have to argue on these political terms. I think and and have good information again, like the green breakdown from Steve Gorham. Look it up, Google, whatever search engine being you use. You know, look up Steve right. it's Gorham's on, uh, book. It's on Amazon. Uh, there are ebooks of it as well on uh, Google, Barnes & Noble, Apple. Uh, they can also get a signed copy. They can go to my website, Steve Gorham, G-O-R-E-H-A-M.com, and I'll send them a signed book. Very good. So, again, that's uh, stevegorham.com? Yes, sir. All right, stevegorham.com. And that's not the only book he's written. If you want to be really well-informed... Be armed when you're going to be, you know, going to church, going into your uh, workplace. You don't just want to sound like someone that requires gasoline uh, or caffeine to get your day started. But there's realities because you won't have the coffee shipped to you either uh, that we to survive or to keep any semblance of our quality of life in America. We've got to understand these basic concepts that Steve Gorham has grabbed a hold of, uh, not just the economic but the social impact that these agendas are going to have i want to thank steve gorham again for coming on the show today unfortunately we don't have a long enough show to hit all the concepts but we'll have him back and in the meantime again go to stevegorham.com you can get a signed copy of his book green breakdown but he also has a, a list of other books that he's written that can inform you your family and friends to continue down the road of a successful future with energy that works that being said we'll be with you folks again tomorrow Bye bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.